As we prepare to open God's word, let's pray and ask that he would bless it to us. Let's pray. Eternal Father, who has spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, but in these last days, in your Son, the incarnate word, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that word in the power of the Spirit, and we pray that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel and write on their hearts your holy law, even as you have promised. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. And I failed to mention uh, during the before the congregational prayer, but some of the language from that was taken from our uh, forms and prayers, the prayer for Pentecost. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Some of that is from the, the URC Forms and Prayers Committee, not, not me. So. <laughs> but uh, if, you have your, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn with me uh, to our sermon text for today, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. This is the beginning of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and we'll be considering uh, these, these verses today as we, uh, as we are celebrating today that great outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verses, uh, beginning in verse 14, And reading through verse 21. And pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Well, the book of Joel, uh, Joel begins by recounting a, a locust plague that had come against the land of Judah, a locust plague that had devastated the land and left it completely desolate. All the plants were eaten. The harvest was lost because these locusts had come against the land. It's really a picture of decreation that we get at the beginning of Joel of this this plague of locusts coming against the land. It's kind of the opposite of what we sang about in Psalm 104. As in Psalm 104, everything is springing up and green plants are coming up. Everything is fruitful. Streams are gushing. Uh, This is very much the opposite, this plague that Joel describes, which has come against the land of Judah. And what does Joel say the people need to do in response to this plague? He says, repent, repent. 
Because not only is this plague a sign of decreation, this is also a sign of judgment against the land. This plague of locusts is a, uh, is, is a foreshadowing of a greater uh, day of judgment, the great day of the Lord, that day on which the Lord will judge all the wicked. The locusts are like an army of judgment that's coming against the land on that last day. And Joel says the people need to repent in order to avoid being swept away with the wicked on that last day. But, Joel says, there's still hope if you repent. The Lord is long-suffering. He's merciful. He's gracious. And, he, and if you repent, he will turn to you. He will restore the years that the locusts took away. He will cause the plants to, to give their yield again. He will cause the land to be fruitful again. Just like we sang about in Psalm 104, this is what's described if they, if they repent and turn to the Lord. He will restore their land. He will recreate it. And just like that plague of locusts looks to a greater judgment on the last day, so this recreation of the land, this renewal of the land, if the people repent, points to a greater restoration that will come to the people of God in the last days. A great day on which God will pour out His Spirit in more fullness than ever before. A day on which all God's people will be prophets. A day on which there will be salvation and security for all who call on the name of the Lord. Now, as we fast forward several centuries from the time of Joel and we come to the time of Pentecost, the beginning of the book of Acts, Christ has finished his work that he came to earth to do. He's been exalted in his resurrection. He's ascended to heaven. And right before his ascension, he promised his disciples that he would give them the Holy Spirit, that he would that he would pour out the Holy Spirit on them to empower them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And ten days later, ten days after Christ's ascension, as all the disciples are gathered together on the day of Pentecost, Christ does indeed pour out his Spirit on them. The Spirit comes with the sound of a mighty and rushing wind with flaming tongues of fire, And the disciples begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in languages that they never learned before. In the midst of the temple courts, they're preaching the gospel in all these various languages. And there's a mixed response. They, They receive a mixed response to this preaching. Some people mock them and say, these people must be drunk. There's no other explanation for what's going on right now except that these people are drunk. But other people are amazed by what they're seeing, rightly amazed by what they're seeing. And they ask the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? And Peter uh, proceeds to answer these two questions. He stands up in the midst of the people and he calls them to attention. And he says to them, first of all, he answers the question of of whether uh, the disciples are drunk or not. He says, there's no way they're drunk. It's nine in the morning. That's not possible that they could be drunk. But he says instead, in answer to the question, what does this mean? He says, this is what Joel prophesied. This is that great day of restoration. This is that, Peter says. This is, this is uh, those, that great pouring out of the Spirit that Joel talked about. And Peter quotes Joel's prophecy that we read just a moment ago to explain what the pouring out of the Spirit means. 
And this prophecy that Peter quotes points us to especially three things that the pouring out of the Spirit means. The pouring out of the Spirit means, first of all, that the last days have come. The last days have come. It means, second, that all God's people are prophets. And it means, third, that there is salvation for all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And so those will be our three points that we'll consider today. The last days, that all God's people are prophets, and salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Our first point, the last days have come. This is, this is what we read at the very beginning of the prophecy that Peter quotes. Uh, Joel writes, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So this pouring out of the Spirit means that the last days have indeed come. And the prophets spoke about, they expected, they looked forward to these last days as days of restoration for Israel, as days of, of greater blessing than had ever been experienced for Israel before, uh, than, than Israel had ever experienced before, as days when all of Israel's enemies would be judged and destroyed. This is what the prophets looked forward to in these last days, and these are the days that Joel is prophesying about as well. In chapter 3 of Joel, he talks about how God will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. That, uh, and, and Joel is most likely prophesying after the exile to Babylon and the return to the land. This is after uh, Judah no longer has their king, no longer has the, uh, the descendant of David on the throne ruling over them. And Joel says, that, he, that God will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. And he describes a time that will be even greater than, than the time that they look back to with such fondness, that time of David and Solomon, when they had those great kings, when the kingdom of Israel was at the height of its glory. This time of restoration will be even greater. Joel depicts a time like that. And the last days bring with them the day of the Lord, that great day on which the righteous are vindicated and dwell with God forever, and the day on which the wicked are once and for all destroyed. And we read about some signs that Joel talks about that precede this day of the Lord. In verses 19 and 20 of our passage, there are signs he talks about that that will make it clear that this day is coming. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So when these signs appear, it means that the last days have come. It means that the day of the Lord is quickly approaching. It's imminent. This is what these signs point to. They're signs of God coming as judge, distinguishing, judging between the righteous and the wicked. Now, uh, Peter says in our text, this prophecy is fulfilled at Pentecost. He says this has been, this is fulfilled, this is that, he says. And some commentators look at this text and they say, well, some of it has been fulfilled. The pouring out of the Spirit, part of it, of course, has been, has been fulfilled. But what about this, these signs? There's nothing that we uh, find that exactly matches up to these signs that Joel describes. So maybe the signs are purely future, But if we look just one verse below our uh, sermon text in verse 22, Acts 2.22, what does Peter say about about Jesus? He says, um, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God 
with mighty works and wonders and signs. When Peter's speaking about the mighty works that Christ did, he uses the exact same language to describe those works that Joel uses to describe the signs that will precede the day of the Lord, that will, that will make clear that the last days have come. These works that Christ did are those signs. And it makes sense that these works would be those signs that, that, show, the day, that show the last days have come. Um, these, the signs that, that Christ did, the mighty works that he did, were signs of both restoration for his people and judgment for the wicked. We can think, uh, for example, just about, um, just about his casting out of demons. Christ says that in, in Matthew 12 that when he casts out demons, this is a sign that the kingdom of God has come. He's, he's cleansing the new creation from the powers of darkness. He's judging them, but freeing his people from this, from this power. Signs of both judgment and restoration. And we should include in this all of the works that Christ did during his earthly ministry, his crucifixion, his uh, resurrection. All of these are signs that the last days have come and that the day of the Lord is quickly approaching. The Spirit came with signs at Pentecost. The Spirit came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind, breathing new creation life, right? This is the picture that we have, just like the Spirit breathed, just like God breathed life into Adam when he created him in Genesis chapter 2. He breathed life into Adam and he became a living being. So the Spirit comes with this mighty rushing wind, breathing new creation life into this present age. The Spirit came with flaming tongues of fire above each, each disciple that was gathered together in that, uh, in that place. And just like we see the Spirit's special presence at Sinai comes with fire. As Solomon dedicates the temple and, and fire comes down and consumes the offering, this is a sign of God's special presence, no longer just dwelling in the temple in the midst of Israel, but God's temple has now become each believer. Each believer, God dwells in each believer through his Spirit. This is what this sign points to that this restoration has come, and speaking in different languages, that this restoration will include people from all over the world, from all kinds of different places and tongues and languages. These are signs of restoration. But these signs that the Spirit comes with are also signs of judgment, just like the signs of Christ, just like the signs that Joel describes that will make it clear that the last days have come. Because as the Spirit brings new creation life through the preaching of the gospel, there is judgment for those who reject that word. That fire that the Spirit comes with is not only a purifying fire, but our God is a consuming fire, and all who reject his gospel will be consumed. So God has given these signs of both restoration and judgment and the work of Christ and the coming of the Spirit that make it clear that the last days have come, that the day of the Lord is quickly approaching. And we live in these days of restoration and renewal, these days that the prophets looked forward to, this, that, that day that Joel looked forward to of the pouring out of the Spirit on God's people of greater blessing than had ever been experienced before. Days when the gospel goes forth to all nations, when, when God's presence is not restricted to a land 
or to a temple in the midst of his people. But God's presence is wherever his people are. Wherever his people are, God's presence is there. So the pouring out of the Spirit means the last days have come. This prophecy from Joel also talks about another and more specific benefit of the Spirit's coming on this day of Pentecost. And this is that all God's people are now prophets. All God's people are now prophets. This is the second thing that the pouring out of the Spirit means. And this is what we read in verses 17 and 18. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now there's important background to this promise that Joel makes here, that God makes through Joel in this passage, and that's in Numbers chapter 11. As the people have just, in in Numbers uh, 10, the people leave Sinai, um, and they're headed to the promised land. God has given his law to Moses. He gave Moses the plan for the tabernacle, and now the people are headed to the promised land. And almost immediately, the people begin to complain. Almost immediately, they begin to grumble and complain against Moses. We had great food, they say, in the land of Egypt. We ate whatever, all the delicacies that we could have ever wanted we had access to in Egypt. And now all we have in the wilderness is manna, they say. Really, what the people are doing here is they're asking to go back into bondage, to go back into slavery in the land of Egypt. They think that's better than being brought out of the land of Egypt and being made God's people. They're so quickly forgotten their oppression, so quickly forgotten the great redemption that God has worked for them. And everyone is complaining to Moses, and he feels overwhelmed by the burden of leading these people. He feels like this is too much of a burden for him to bear. And so he goes to God, and God says to him, I will appoint for you elders who will help you lead the people. And in order to equip them to help you lead the people, I will give some of the spirit, some of my spirit which is on you, I will give to these elders to to equip them to lead the people. And they go to the tent of meeting, and they're gathered around the tent of meeting, and God does put his spirit upon these elders, and they begin to prophesy, authenticating that they've really received some of the spirit that was on Moses. Now, two of the 70 elders that God uh, appointed to help Moses were not at the tent of meeting. They were in the camp. But the spirit still fell on them, and they still began to prophesy. And Joshua came running to Moses, and he said, and he said, you need to make them stop. They're going to usurp you as, as God's leader, as God's uh, spirit-filled leader in this, in this, among this people. But Moses says instead, he responds to Joshua. He says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all God's people were prophets and that God would put his spirit on all of them. So what Moses makes clear by what he says here is that not all God's people at that time had the Spirit in the way Moses did, in the way that these elders were given the Spirit. Excuse me. And this is often how it worked in the, this this is how it worked in the Old Covenant, that God's Spirit dwelt in the temple in the midst of his people. God gave his Spirit to certain Uh, to certain leaders of the people, kings and prophets, in order to equip them to lead the people. 
But not all the Israelites, most of the Israelites did not have the Spirit in the way that these leaders had the Spirit. They were not given the Spirit in the way that, uh, that the kings and the prophets were given the Spirit. And Moses is looking forward. He's looking toward a day. He's wishing for a day when all God's people would have the Spirit as he does, when all God's people would be prophets. Now, what is Moses really asking for here when he's asking for all God's people to receive the Spirit? Is he asking and, and to be prophets? Is he asking here that all uh, Christians in the, in the church would uh, be able to know the future, would know what next week's winning lottery numbers are? No, right? That's not the point of, of prophecy. Prophets were those who were anointed with the Spirit to proclaim to God's people about the age to come, about the last days. This is what they spoke to God's people about. And God revealed himself and his redemptive purposes to them in a way that he did not reveal these things to everyone in Israel. He, uh, he revealed himself to them. They had a greater communion with God because of this. And this is really the problem that Moses was dealing with as he was leading these people out of Egypt. That the people so quickly forgot the salvation that God had won for them. They so quickly forgot God's purposes for them in leading them out of the land of Egypt that he desired to give them a great land flowing with milk and honey. And they forgot this almost immediately. And he wants, Moses wants the people to have the spirit as he does to grant them this greater understanding, this greater spiritual insight into God's purposes, not that they would not so easily turn away and forget the great salvation that God had won for them. This desire from Moses that all God's people would be prophets, that all God's people would receive the Spirit as Moses had the Spirit is echoed throughout the prophets. We see this in, um, we see this in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, both that, that this that this greater knowledge, that this greater communion, that this greater receiving of God's Spirit would be part of the age to come, would be part of the last days. And of course, this is what Joel prophesied about as well, this pouring out of God's Spirit on God's people, making all God's people prophets, this greater communion and knowledge that God would grant through His Spirit. And again, Peter says that this was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. As the disciples preached the gospel in languages they had never learned, they showed that they had truly received the Spirit, that the Spirit truly indwelt them, that the Spirit had truly come on this great and momentous day. And this Spirit dwells in you as well. Joel's prophecy talks about all God's people, right? Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, all God's people have received God's Spirit in this way. This is why we can look at a person like John the Baptist, the greatest of the Old Covenant prophets, a man who we're told was filled with the Spirit from his youth. And, and we can look at him and, and Christ can say that the, that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Our greater reception of the Spirit is why we can be so quick to understand how great a misunderstanding John had when he sent messengers to Jesus and asked, are you really the one to come or should we look for another? We know that this is, we know that Christ is the coming one. We know that we do not need to look for another because we've received the Spirit in a way that John never received him. 
because we've received the Spirit from our glorified Lord, we have this greater insight and knowledge. We all have been made prophets by God's Spirit who has been poured out at Pentecost. So this pouring out of God's Spirit means both that the last days have come and that all God's people are prophets. And third and lastly, then, it means that salvation is in the name of Jesus Christ, that all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. And this is the very last part of Joel's prophecy that Peter quotes, kind of a climactic culmination of this prophecy in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if we uh, look down for a moment at verses uh, 22 and following, um, as Peter continues his sermon, as Peter, uh, this is kind of the introduction to Peter's sermon, and he continues in verses 22 and following, it's kind of interesting and maybe a little surprising that on a day that's all about the Spirit, Peter turns immediately to talk about Jesus. He, he kind of leaves behind this uh, talking about the about the um, significance of the pouring out of the Spirit. And he begins to talk about Jesus Christ, to preach about Christ's person and work. And maybe this is surprising. Why is this that Peter turns immediately to talk about Jesus here? Well, let's follow for just briefly here Peter's train of thought in these verses. In verses uh, 22 and 23, he begins this sermon by rebuking the Israelites. He says to them, You crucified and killed a man who clearly proved himself to be from God by the great works, by the great signs that he did. I'm losing my voice or something, I'm sorry. Um, But uh, so verses 22 and 23, this man clearly proved himself to be from God by these great works and signs and wonders that he performed. And you crucified and killed him, Peter says. But God raised him from the dead, he says in verse 24. And David was a prophet. He prophesied. Peter quotes Psalm 16 in verses 25 to 28. And he says, David prophesied that the Messiah would be raised from the dead, would be resurrected. And so the fact that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead proves that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he's the anointed one that Israel has been looking for. In verses 33 to 35, then, Peter says, Jesus is now exalted and seated at the right hand of God. The Father has given him the Spirit, and Christ has poured out the Spirit, which you are all seeing and hearing on this day. The fact that the Spirit is poured out means that Christ is indeed enthroned at the right hand of the Father, that he is the Lord from Psalm 110, which is the second psalm that Peter quotes in this this sermon. The Lord, that is the Father, said to my Lord, that is Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Peter's conclusion based on this is in verse 36, therefore, not only is he the Christ, not only is he the Messiah, but he's also the Lord. He's also the Lord. And the Old Testament looked forward to uh, the prophets and uh, the people in the Old Testament looked forward to a Messiah, an anointed king, like David, who would come and deliver his people, who would come and deliver the people of Israel from their enemies, someone who would be anointed with the Spirit like David. But the Old Testament also uh, looks 
for God himself to come and redeem his people. God, several times through the prophet, says, I myself will come because salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from Yahweh alone, that Yahweh himself will usher in his kingdom. And what Peter tells us here is that Christ is both. He's both the Messiah, that anointed king like David who has come to deliver his people, and he is Yahweh come to save his people. This is Peter's great conclusion to this sermon. And therefore, Jesus Christ is the Lord upon whom we must call for salvation. In the last verse of of that prophecy from Joel, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter says, Jesus Christ is this Lord upon whom you must call for salvation. That salvation is available in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, he, he, uh, again, uh, after coming to this conclusion that Christ is, or that Jesus is both Christ and Lord, he again brings the people to a conviction of their sin. He says, and this is the one you crucified and killed, not only your Messiah, but your God you crucified and killed. And in verse 37, many of the people who were listening were cut to the heart by this. They were convicted of their sin, of killing Uh, of killing the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as this sermon began with a question, began with the question, what does this mean? Now the sermon ends with a question, what shall we do, the people ask. And what Peter says to them is, in verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now Peter's sermon is, a great testimony to the person and work of Christ. And I said that he turned to Christ, but the Spirit is very much active during this whole preaching of, of, uh, during this whole testimony of Jesus Christ, during, during Peter's whole proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. In fact, the Spirit is doing exactly what Christ said he would do. In John 15, as Christ was preparing the disciples for his departure as he was preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit will bear witness to me. The Spirit will bear witness to me, he said. And then in John 16, he said, the Spirit will convict the world or prove the world guilty concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And this is exactly what the Spirit was doing during Peter's Pentecost sermon. The Spirit was bearing witness to Christ in the hearts of those who were present. The Spirit was convicting them of their sin and crucifying the Lord of glory. He was testifying to Christ's vindication and his resurrection from the dead and to the righteousness that is available by faith in Jesus Christ. He was convicting those present of the coming judgment. Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And through that, the Spirit was was convincing and convicting those present of the coming judgment, that it is in the name of Jesus Christ that they can find salvation and security from that. And this is ultimately why Peter's sermon is about the person and work of Christ. Because it's through the preaching of the gospel and the powerful working of the Spirit, making that gospel effective, that salvation comes as the Spirit brings new creation life through the gospel. It's through the gospel that the, uh, that the, um, excuse me, that the Spirit brings sinners from death to life. This is 
the beautiful picture we get in Psalm 104 of the Spirit's work in creation. That as God speaks those words of creation, the Spirit makes all of His words effective and fruitful. That the Spirit makes green plants to grow and grass to spring up. That He makes springs to gush forth. That God sends forth His Spirit and He renews the face of the ground. He brings renewal and restoration. And this is how Jesus describes the Spirit's work in the new creation as well. In John chapter 7, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John says that Christ was talking about the Spirit here. The Spirit who makes the gospel effective and fruitful. One commentator puts it this way about this passage. He says, The Spirit is a never-failing source of gifts for those who believe in Jesus Christ, making springs to gush forth from the preaching of the gospel about Jesus Christ. And this is why Luke tells us that 3,000 people were added that day because the Spirit made the preaching of the gospel, Peter's testimony to the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, effective in the hearts of 3,000 people that day. He made it fruitful in their, in their lives. As we close then, brothers and sisters, this passage from Joel that Peter quotes here at the beginning of his Pentecost sermon to explain the pouring out of the Spirit makes clear that the last days have come, makes clear that the Spirit is working in these last days in a way that He never has before in the history of the world, that He is bringing the powers of the new creation into this present age through word and sacrament, that he is bringing us to a greater knowledge and communion with God than our old covenant forefathers ever enjoyed. What a blessing it is to live in this age of the Spirit. These are days of restoration, of blessing, as the gospel goes out to all nations. But these are also days of responsibility. These are days that Make it clear for us, the pouring out of the Spirit, these signs that have come, make it clear that the day of the Lord is imminent, that it is coming soon, that day of great blessing for the righteous, and that day of the destruction of the wicked. And Peter tells us that there is a name upon which we can call for salvation in that day, that we can be counted among the righteous in that day, and this is the name of Jesus Christ. Because Christ has already undergone the judgment of that last day on our behalf. Darkness fell upon the land as Christ hung upon the cross. Blood flowed from his side. He drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. He underwent the judgment of that last day for you and for me and for everyone who puts their faith in him. These last days are days of God's forbearance as the gospel continues to go forth. And every time the gospel goes forth, there is an opportunity. God gives an opportunity for repentance, for turning to him. If you are here today not calling upon the name of Jesus Christ, then know that you will have to bear the judgment of that last day on your own. And that is judgment and wrath that you cannot bear. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you will receive that great gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your love in sending us your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who has accomplished our salvation. We thank you that you have exalted and glorified him and that he has poured out his Spirit on the church. Thank you for the work of the Spirit, proving the world guilty of sin and righteousness and judgment, giving all your people a greater knowledge and communion with you and bringing new creation life into this present age through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the sacraments which you have given us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.